This will be the, uh, the fourth lesson in Malachi. Uh, it will be the second chapter starting it last week, or well, actually Sunday we finished up uh, the third lesson. I preached it Sunday morning instead of giving it last week. We had Brother uh, Ernie Hopper here with us, and it was a great blessing. I enjoyed that, but I had felt like that was a Sunday morning message anyway. Sam is handing out the outlines for tonight, so if you don't get one when he gets back to his seat, just turn around and give him a bad look, and he'll make sure to get you one up there. But chapter 2 is actually a continuation of chapter 1. Uh, God is still addressing the priest about their attitude, and attitude is usually the problem. Uh, when we start looking at spiritual condition, we start looking at the problems of mankind, a lot of times it comes back to that one thing, attitude, the attitude that we have. How many of us in here knows that our attitude can change our situations? I know that Coach Wooten, I don't know if you ever read his biography or any of his biography, I'm not sure how many he's got, but one of them, he made the statement that he never puts a player with a good attitude in the room with a player with a bad attitude. He always tried to put the bad attitude players together and keep the good attitude players separated because a bad attitude has a way of bleeding over and affecting other people. And so God is really wanting to address the priests in this situation about their attitude toward their service, toward their work. And I think before we get done with tonight, we're going to see that they had every reason to be joyful about the calling of God on their life and joyful about the things that they were doing, but yet sometimes they just kind of had a take-it-or-leave-it attitude or it really wasn't worth it or uh, it's just not hardly worth doing what God would have us to do. And I still think that there's probably some people that have that type of attitude when it comes to doing and performing service for God. They think either it's too hard, that it costs too much, or that it uh, takes too much out of them, or it's just not simply worth doing. But I think that if we apply ourselves to it, if we start to do the things that God would have us to do and follow after his will, that we're going to see that there is great benefit and reward for following the Lord's uh, guidance and direction in our lives. And remember what uh, Paul wrote to the Ephesians in six, uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians and verse 6 when he's talking about servants and the performing uh, works of servants. He says, not with eye service as man pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And I think this is where it comes, is this attitude of how we do it. And this is, uh, like I said, a continuation of chapter 2. So let's just go ahead and read the, uh, well, the first nine verses, actually. We're not, we're not going to make it very far tonight, and uh, we'll cut off a little bit shorter because of business meeting, but at the same time, uh, I was kind of running along on those first nine verses anyway, so that worked out pretty good for me. So we'll read the first nine verses. Amen. We'll stop there tonight and continue the rest of it next week, but uh, just a lot of great message there. You know, we talked about Malachi. He shoots pretty straight with the people. My mother always said plain language is easy understood. And uh, Malachi doesn't pull a whole lot of punches. He just tells them the way it is. But let's keep in mind, this is not Malachi telling them the way it is. This is God speaking through Malachi to point it out. This is God's message. He is the, he is the bearer of God's word. And, you know, when we read through the word of God, one of the things that we need to understand and make sure that we, we know that the words in red carry no more weight in, with them than the other words in the scripture. When we read through the Ephesians or 
uh, through the letters to Timothy, Titus, Paul, whoever it may, or uh, Peter, whoever it may be, those words are still the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It all comes from him. And we need to realize that God's word is supreme, that God's word is our absolute, and our lives are dictated by what God says. We know that there was different people who wrote the words, but it was God using them. Same way here with Malachi. It was Malachi that was speaking these words or writing these words to the people, but it was God's word that was be, uh, being brought to them. And he points it out here, uh, and still, like I said, we're going into the priests despising the calling of God on their lives. And uh, I just want to point out that service contains, that they had contained at least two different parts that he gives them a warning to. And he starts out, first, you need to hear, and second, you if you receive it, you know, so it's, uh, or lay it to heart is what he's saying. So it's more... Hearing in the context of the Bible is more than about transmitting audible sound from one place to another. How many of us in here have ever heard without hearing? It's funny at our house. We, uh, one of our rituals, I guess you could say, something we enjoy doing a lot of times, it seems that supper will fall right about the time of Jeopardy. And uh, we both enjoy Jeopardy, and we, we like watching Jeopardy. And we'll sit there and we'll watch it, and uh, we'll try to get a few of them right, get a lot of them wrong. You know, just ha the way we do it, it's a, it's a fun thing to do. And uh, we always, it's, it's fun when we get a question that we have no earthly reason whatsoever to know. And, uh, you know, Kim will look at me funny, I'll look at her funny. But oftentimes, as they give the category for final Jeopardy, and he'll say the category is this, make your wages, and then they'll go off to a commercial break. And by the end of the first commercial, a lot of times I'll just turn to Kim and I'll ask her, what was the category? For the life of her, she can't come with it. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. About 90% of the time, I can't either. <laughs> we hear it, and it comes across the television. It shows us what it is, but we don't really hear it. You ever been there? You hear it. You heard the words, but you didn't actually hear it. It didn't make an impact on your life. It didn't really get absorbed into your life. The transmitting of a message is not only about transmitting sound, but also transmitting the understanding and the meaning of that. You know, uh, how many has ever heard of the cold talkers in World War II? They were the Navajo nation that went into World War II. They spoke their Navajo tongue into in a... a the Japanese presence, and they couldn't figure it out. The, the code was never broken during World War II. Uh, it was a code inside of a code, really. It was the Navajo language, but then they also had code words inside that language that they were using to, you know, to uh, talk about whether it was a machine gun or a tank or whatever. But when they would have two or three of these Navajos that were bouncing this signal from, well, from the point of combat to the ships or wherever it was going, they would bounce that code back to the different people that would receive it. And the code didn't do them any good if nobody understood what it meant. If all they heard was noise or a garbled up message, then it didn't affect them. So the priest, their job here was to hear the word of God. And this means more than just audibly hearing it meant to understand, to really to take it in, to understand what God was saying. Sometimes I think that we hear but we don't really hear God. We, we hear what he's saying. We come and we listen to sermons. We hear the song service. We hear teaching. But then we go out into the world and we really didn't catch hold of what was being said. How many of us, have, well, I'm not going to ask us to raise our hands, but I'm sure that most of us can say that we've done that in our lives. I've talked to, of course, last week I was down at the association meeting and 
I was talking to several pastors down there and just different stuff. And sometimes the conversation will come up of revivals and things. And, uh, you know, there was a statistic that was put out that a lot of pastors will resign after a revival or a series of special meetings. And the reason being is you'll have a minister to come in, an evangelist or another pastor or something that will come in. They'll preach and they'll teach uh, for five nights. And the congregation just gets really excited and just gets on fire and really, you know, it's like, it's amazing, you know, the word of God just coming alive. And the pastor of that congregation is sitting there thinking, I've been saying this for six months. But the people wasn't hearing it. They needed to hear it from somebody different. And the point that I'm trying to make here is sometimes we come and we hear, but we don't actually hear it. It doesn't make it into it. We don't eternalize it. We just kind of, we take it in and we know what's being said, but it doesn't really make an effect on our lives. So the priests were to, not only to hear it, but also to lay it to heart, to bring it in, to hold on to it, to, to know what they were, uh, they were supposed to do. You know, the priests were to make sacrifices that painted an accurate picture of Jesus Christ. Their job was to portray the Messiah, to tell who it was going to be, to show the picture, a representation of what Messiah was going to be, what he was going to look like, what he was going to do when he came. And when they gave these perverted offerings, when they gave these tainted sacrifices, they painted a poor picture of the Messiah. They painted a picture of a Messiah that was sinful. They, they painted a picture of a Messiah that was not spotless but one that was full of blemishes and, and by doing that they were not hearing and they were not obeying the word of the lord they were offering lamb a uh, lame and blind sheep and only obeying part of the law but not the whole law they, they could keep the sacrifice but they forgot why they were keeping the sacrifice and i think this is why as we go through the minor prophets one of the recurring themes is god was saying i don't enjoy your sacrifices i don't enjoy your feast because they have forgot the purpose and the principle of those feasts and of those sacrifices. You know, this is where it really gets hard. And the problem comes in when we start leaving things up to a person's own judgment. Whether it's me as pastor, Brother David uh, Chadwick as a, an elder minister of the church or whoever it may be. When we start leaving it up to individuals' judgment instead of the word of God, our opinions can vary. And this is what happened with the high priest. They would, people would bring in a sacrifice, and he would look at it and say, ah, that'll be fine. And it just got worse and worse. People would bring their sheep in or their lamb or whatever it would, and they would have the attitude, you know, why should we bring the best sheep in when we could just take and bring one of the ones that's going to die anyway? After all, they're only going to kill it. Why would we bring something worth $100 in that we could sell and make money for ourselves when we could bring a $10 sacrifice in to do the exact same thing. That was the attitude of the people. That was what they were doing. You know, they were bringing their, uh, their leftovers, not their best. And I wonder, do we offer the Lord the best parts of our lives oftentimes? Or do we offer him the leftovers, the things that are, uh, well, uh, do we offer the Lord um, as long as, do we offer our service to the Lord as long as there's no better offer on the table? I want to just think about that for a moment tonight, and I want you to just take a look around. Do we offer our service to God as long as we don't have a better offer on the table? For instance, I've got tickets to the Bengals this weekend. For instance, 
There's a race taking place down in Bristol this weekend. For instance, there's a new store opening over at the mall this weekend. Or I can go fishing. Or I can go camping. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing some of these things. In fact, I think that we should take time for ourselves to, to kind of rejuvenate, to get ourselves back together, take a vacation. Kim and I are planning one here before too long. But too often times in our life, we just want to give the Lord what's left over. If we don't have a better offer on the table, then we'll go ahead and give it to the Lord. I mean, after all, our Sunday's already run. We might as well go to church Sunday night, right? I'm not going to put the amen sign up. We don't need an amen on that one. But nonetheless, this is the attitude that the people had there. And so just so we know that we're talking not specifically about the priest only in the Old Testament, but this is what Peter wrote in, the, in 1 Peter chapter 2. But ye are a royal uh, chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He goes on to say that you were once in darkness, but now called into the light. And he's talking to Christian people. As Christians, we are the royal priesthood of God. Now, we don't make the sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament, but we still have a job to present God to the world and to share him with others, to glorify his holy name in all that we say, all that we do, and to do that. And we should not despise the calling that God has placed on our life to do that, and we shouldn't take that calling lightly. We should look at it and want to do it to the best of our ability. Are there any questions or comments so far? Well, what you were talking about is he was going to, the people at that time were not getting any blessings because, like you said, they were giving God the best. They were just giving the leftovers of their time, their finances, and everything. It's the same way as today. I think that we see a lot of that. In fact, this next point about being the curse, uh, one of the things that he tells the priest, now priests understood what God meant by a curse. And uh, he said not only is these things going to happen, but these things have already happened to you. If you remember back in the book of Haggai, in chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, this is what it says. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink and are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, uh, ye clothe you but there is not, a, not warm. Uh, and, uh, and he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes, saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And if you remember going through that, what was happening is they weren't getting blessed like they thought they should have been blessed. They were put, how many of us have ever felt like we've been putting our money into a bag with holes? I think we all have done that before in our life. We come home and it's like at the end of the week, it's, where did everything go? There is no way we spent that much money this week or this month. There's no, where did it go? I know that I didn't get that much Speedway coffee this month. It couldn't have run me into the hole that much. And we just feel like we take our money, we put it into a bag, and at the end of the night, we open our bag up and it's like nothing there. Or it's diluted. And, and he goes on to clarify it as he goes down through in chapter 2 to talk about some of the bless or cursings that's going to come into him. The first one is that your seed would be corrupt. Now, some of the commentators talk about their actual lineage, their, uh, their seed of their children. But uh, more specifically, I think it's talking about their crop seed that they, they had planted and things didn't come up. Um, 
I one time planted some corn. And I remember the year that we planted, I was, uh, my mother come to live with me. Uh, she had div uh, divorced my stepfather, and I had a little, just a little piece of land, not much, just a little bit to grow a small garden. And uh, I put corn out in it early in the year, and it rained and rained and rained. And I just knew that seed was going to sit there and rot in the ground. Now, it wasn't much, but it was our corn. You know, it had been nice to put up in the fall of the year to freeze it or to, uh, to have it uh, set aside. And I remember finally it dried out and the corn sprung up out of the ground. I never saw such pathetic little ears of corn in all my life. It looked like something you'd get off of a Chinese buffet. I am not kidding. I didn't know that corn could get that small. It was corrupt corn. It should have been. Uh, back at the time, it was probably growing peaches and cream, but yet it turned into little bitty ears of corn. It was corrupt. Now, God is saying here that their, their, their seed would be corrupt, that they would plant it, and it should bring forth this, but then it doesn't, and, and that they wouldn't make their livelihood that way. He goes on to say, and this is a little bit graphic, uh, they sp uh, spread the dung on their face. And this is an interesting one. I don't think that we have to get into it too much, what he means by dung. He goes on to say that it's first it's like uh, Solomon's feast. Not, notice that he doesn't say it's like my feast. It's like Solomon's feast. During Solomon's feast, there's two things that marked it. One, it was marked with dec dec decadence. It was marked with a, uh, uh, just a large, overwhelming thing. A lot, of, a lot of food would be brought, a lot of uh, meat, a lot of cattle and things would be brought in. When they would sacrifice it, when they had the temple dedication, they brought a lot of animals in to sacrifice. And guess what animals do? Well, we know what animals do. Guess whose job it was to clean that up? The priests, they were the ones that worked the temple. They were the ones that worked in the, uh, took care of all that stuff. And God is basically saying here, you can read that uh, in Exodus chapter 29 and verse 14, it was the priest's job to carry this dung outside the city limits and to burn it outside of the city gates. If they had come into contact with that, the priest would be ceremonially unclean for service. This is a problem for a priest. This is like someone who's supposed to be at a job and then not able to come to the job for whatever reason. Maybe, uh, well, whatever it may be. Your license is suspended. Maybe you're, uh, you're held up out of town or you couldn't get on the plane or whatever it may be. But this is exactly what happened to the priest. If they had come in contact with that dung, they would have been ceremonially unclean. And God is saying here, you're going to be treated like the dung. You're going to be gathered up just like that. It's going to be smeared across. Literally, it says there on the face, wiped across your nose, if you wanted to get into the technical language of the of Hebrew. But he's saying that you're going to be treated like that. And, um, well, as we go on to talk about here, that you bring reproach and despise upon the office that you hold. And I just want to make this point. You know, I, I don't think that I'm going to go out on a limb too awful far when I say that a lot of New Testament pastors let me say that again. A lot of New Testament pastors have caused reproach and shame on the ministry because of their actions, because of the way that they've handled and treated the ministry. Uh, I think that we can all see that because uh, if you ask someone to come to church, what's one of the first things they say? They're hypocrites. What's one of the next things they say? All they want is money. But where do they get that from? I want to just ask you a question. How often... Do I, I preached more about it here in the past two weeks than I have in the past two years, I bet you. And I'm not really hit the idea of tithes and offerings, but how often do we 
do we ask for money here? How often do we pass the offering plate? Sunday morning's it. There's other, well, I'm not even going to go there. But some people have profaned the name of God simply because of their action, because of the way they have. And it's a legitimate problem that people have had with the church because of some of the representation that people have given. The priests had forgotten that it was a privilege to serve the Lord. They had forgot that they had this great, wonderful calling. And I want you to just think about this. As I go through these next few verses and make this next couple points, I want us all to just think of it in context of our own lives and possibly the lives of our parents and grandparents. How many of us in here are of royal lineage? No many, no, no, nobody that's of the, what is it, the Aristotle blood or aristocracy the hierarchy, nobody here that can trace their lineage back to the pilgrims and the uh, New England old money type of people. Nobody in here like that? Mostly mutts and mostly mutts. So most of us in here, I know, I know, you're not telling me anything. Who was the priestly tribe? The Levites, right? We know who the Levites were, right? We know Aaron and Moses. We know that Moses was the brother of Aaron. Aaron was chosen to be the first priest, and it went down from him, right? But who was Levi? Who was her namesake, and what was his background? What was his story? When we go back into Genesis chapter 49, and Jacob, or Israel, is dividing up his blessings to the nation of Israel, and he's giving out the blessing to his children, what was the blessing that he gave to Levi? Anyone? That you'd be blessed, that you'd be a spokesperson, that you'd be my minister or the minister to the nation. I want to read to you what it says. Now, Jacob had just told Reuben, he said, you're unstable in all your ways. You're like water. You're undependable. You know, so Jacob, he, he dealt pretty straight with his children when he was giving out his blessings. But verse uh, chapter, five, or chapter 49 and verse 5 through 7 of Genesis, this is what it says. Simon and Levi are brethren, instruments of... Cruelty are in their habitation. O oh, my soul, come not uh, thou unto their, their secret, unto their, uh, unto their assembly. Mine honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they digged down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in the land in, uh, in Israel. This was the promise of Levi. This is important. This is, this is some good stuff right here. I want you to just really meditate on that and think about that, what Levi had done. Does anybody know what Levi had done? Why he got such a harsh punishment on him? Why his father told him, you're, you're a cruel person. You murdered men and, and you tore down cities for no reason. You're a cruel individual. Well, if the backstory on it, is Simon and Levi had a sister that, well, some of the local men took advantage of. Simon and Levi, in their fury and their anger, was going to avenge their sister, so they went to these men. But the men didn't want to have war with them, didn't want to cause a fight with Israel, Jacob and his children and uh, all of their kinfolk. So they said, you know, what can we do to work it out? So Simon and Levi made the deal with them, if you'll be circumcised, then we'll let you dwell among us. 
our women can marry your men, our men can marry your women. And if you'll be circumcised, we, will, we can dwell together. So the men of the city, they decided, okay, well, that sounds good enough. We'll be circumcised. After the, all the men of the city were circumcised, Simon and Levi broke into the city, killed all the men as they were recovering from this. As a grown man, this would have been a very painful procedure. As a Hebrew, they were circumcised on the eighth day. But as a non-Hebrew or non-Jewish person, uh, they wouldn't have been circumcised. So this would have been a very painful procedure. They would have had to recover from it. So while they were recovering and they were in pain, Simon and uh, Levi took swords. This is what the scripture says. It said they took swords and they went in and they killed the men, spoiled the city, took all the, the all that was worth taking in the city, and took their women and children as slaves. This was the priest. This was Levi. This was the guy that his name one day would describe the priestly nation of Israel, the priestly tribe of Israel, I should say. Levi was a cruel individual. Even if he wasn't a cruel individual, he was still led around by a cruel individual. He was at least easily persuaded to do evil. But this was Israel. So God sees them, and this curse, or this, uh, I guess we can call it a curse, was put on Israel. How many of us can look in our past and see, see things that we have done that have been somewhat shameful? Or maybe we can look in our past and we see things that our parents have done that were shameful. Or our grandparents have done that was shameful. And that we have no real expectation for being used greatly of God. If anybody in the nation of Israel had no expectation of being used by, by God, it would have had to have been the priestly tribe of Levi. The Levites, as they were coming out, would have had that name. If, if you knew the name of the Levites, then they would have had that reproach upon them. They would have had that shame upon them. But then something interesting happened. God, in his mercy and his grace, he spoke to someone in the desert. Moses, a man that was willing to hear him and stop and turn to the burning bush and ask him, who are you? And the Lord said, I am that I am. Go, get my people. Tell them that I've heard their cry. So Moses, in return, we know the story. We don't have to go through the whole thing. Went to Pharaoh, demanded that the people of Israel would be let go. Led the nation across the Red Sea. Went up to the mountaintop, communed with God. Come down, uh, shining with uh, the bright light that was on his face. And gave the law to the nation of Israel. And God chose him and his brother Aaron, Levites, in order to be his ministers. And then their children. This is what it says in Numbers chapter 25. I've got it written down there for you. So from this throwaway child, this throwaway nation, this is what the Lord finally says about the tribe of Levi. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Panias, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume, them, consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. We can make a difference. 
in our families. Each and every one of us in here can change the destiny of our families. If there, if you, I'm not trying to say that there's a destiny, but we can change our family. We can change the direction of our family. We may come from a family of drunkards. We may come from a family of drug addicts. We may come from a, a family of whoremongers. We may come from a family of sinners of the worst kind. We may come from any type of background, but God, through the divine mercy and grace that he bestows and sheds upon us, can use us to turn the destiny of an entire family around. Our children do not have to go through the same things that we went through. Our grandchildren are not bound by the same problems that plagued our parents. That We, we can set up a standard to be different by following and hearkening unto the Lord. And by hearkening unto the Lord and by being obedient to him and by being consumed with, uh, with God and zealous for God, these children of Aaron, the grandchildren of Aaron, turned God's wrath away from Israel and called the nation of, or the people of Levi to be his representatives to the world. What a pretty amazing thing. I, I hope that we can all just internalize that and understand how truly significant that is. But because they were human... They had problems. They didn't respect that calling. Can you imagine not respecting that? I would like to have a good example of it. I think that there's, there's plenty of good examples of it out there today. People who have worked hard to make it good and then their children go right back into the same bondage that their grandparents were in. I think we could probably think of people like that. We think, what a shame it would be to do that. But the nation of Israel was doing the exact same thing, that God had called them out, lifted them up, and used them for such a wonderful thing, but then they took it for granted. They, they didn't think of it highly. We should not despise the calling of God in our life. There's no such a thing as a small thing in God. And because they despised it, because they didn't treat it in the way that it should have been treated, they caused many people to stumble. You know, the priests in verse 8 tells us uh, they were to first know, to keep, and then to give out the law. Their first duty as priests was simply to know the ways of God. It was their job to study, to learn, to meditate upon what God would have them to do, what God would have the nation to do. You know, we should desire to know the will of God, to know what the word of God is, to understand what he desires of us. This was the priestly's job. And it's also a job that we have, a, a mandate that God wants for us today. David pleaded with God to teach him his ways, to hide his word in his heart that he might not sin against him. Uh, Psalm 119. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 uh, directs us all, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He wants us to study the word of God, to know it, to understand what it means to help us live the life that we ought to do. But then he goes on to say not just know it, but to keep it. Because it's one thing to know the truth, it's another thing to walk in the truth, isn't it? How many of us have ever known, but we went ahead and did it our way and got in trouble? How many of us have ever glued our, glued our fingers to a model car? You know, the instruction says don't do that. Sometimes we do that in our lives. We... We know what the right thing is, but we don't do it. Sometimes we just we want to cut corners. Maybe we want to go a little bit quicker. Maybe we think that this is a precaution that really we don't need to take. It's for people who are, aren't hardly as skilled as we are, right? And then we do it, and then it leads us to trouble. The priests were to know and to keep the law. There's a word that we use for people who 
teach the law, but don't keep the law. Do you know what that word is? We just used it here a minute ago. Hypocrite. Someone who teaches but then doesn't do it is by definition the hypocrite. I was going through seminary and Brother um, Flagler, he was uh, teaching pastoral epistles to us and uh, he was talking one day about when we would counsel or talk to people and he just warned us. He said, do not counsel people in areas that you've not overcome because that's hypocritical. And he was just very stern about it. Now, I always just thought about that. That's true. If we can't practice it or we don't practice it, we don't need to be teaching it. But the priest, their job was to know it, to keep it, and then to teach it. You know, we need to understand and know the law, apply it to our own life, and then we can use the law to help others. And this is exactly what uh, Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 7 when he's talking about the beam and the mold in the eye. Listen to what it says. And why beholdest thou the mold in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is on, in thine own eye? How wilt thou say unto thy brother, Let me pull out this mold out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite. Sometimes we stop right there. But follow me through with it. What's it going to say? First, cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote from thy brother's eye. See, once we get it took care of in our life, then we can help other people in their life. It's not about not judging people or just saying, well, you can't look at me that way. We should want to help one another and do what's right, but we need to apply it to our own lives before we start telling other people how they ought to live. And incidentally, we instruct Christians. Otherwise, we have moral sinners. The only thing that we really, the, the biggest worry that we need to have with people who are lost is their eternal destiny, their salvation. We're, we're not going to teach morals and values to people who are lost. We share with them the love of God and the salvation that he offers. After they're saved is when we start working on Christian maturity and sanctification. Anyway. So the third thing, like I said, is they were to teach it. And uh, their teaching was multifaceted. When we look at the way that the priests taught during the Old Testament, is they taught using the scriptures. They would open up the scrolls and they would, they would preach from it or expound upon it. But they also taught when they would have their feast days. They would have the Feast of Tabernacles or they would have the Feast of Passover. And the priest would use that as an opportunity to share the word of God, to share the plan of God through the pictures that they were painting, through the sacrifices that they were doing. Uh, the priest, uh, they taught using the sacrifices. When they brought the red heifer sacrifice or they brought the whole burnt offering or all these other things, those were pictures and representations of Jesus Christ. And they were to teach the nation of Israel to do all that, but because of their insecure or insincere service, others saw it and despised what they were doing. Now I want to make this point, and I'm going to be closing here pretty quick. Imagine if we all had a mandate, and, and there was a law written that every Monday we had to bring $100 to the church doorhouse, uh, front door of the church, in order to continue working the week. That if you didn't do that, then you would be ineligible to work or to get any more money that week. So you had to bring that $100 to the front door. And each week you were faithful in doing it. And you brought your $100 and I stood back there and uh, Brother Ray standing right up against my back because he wouldn't let me do it alone. I'm teasing. 
And we stood there and we took your money. You gave me $100 and I turned around and I gave you a receipt. He says, thank you much, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. You can go to work. And then one Monday you came in and you had your $100 in hand and you saw Sam come in before you. Now, Sam's my son. And he came up to me and he says, John, I don't have $100. How about 10 That's fine. I'll take the 10 Here's your receipt. Go on. What do you think about that? Why is it all right for him, but it's not for me? When the priest would offer the sacrifice and somebody would bring in a lame sheep, what did it say to everybody else? No, no sense in bringing a perfect sheep. They're able to get by with the lame. Why can't we? If it's all right for them, then it's all right for us. And this is where morality declines. This is where the problem starts in. We have a problem like this in America today with our immigration situation, with the immigrants. And let me say, first of all, I think that we should be a nation with wide gates and tall fences. We should allow people into this country, but we should have rules on how they should get into this country. When we start talking about amnesty, what does that say for all the people who have applied for naturalization? You know, eight-year process in order to go through the naturalization, a hard taking classes, studying, learning our rules, learning our laws, learning our history, and then you take another group of illegals and say, well, you're automatically a citizenship. It cheapens the whole process. I use that to say that when we do that with the kingdom of God, we cheapen it all when we lower our standards for just one. We need to have a standard that we hold to and that we say, this is not my word. It's not my desire, but this is what God says. And if this is the rule of God, then we have to apply that to our lives. We live that, and this is what we also stress to others in the kingdom of God. 2 Samuel chapter 12, and verse 14, Nathan goes to David, and he's talking to David about his sin with Bathsheba. And David admits, and he confesses before him. He says, I've sinned before, before God. I've done this wrong. And this is how Nathan uh, addresses him. How be it because by this deed thou hast given great uh, occasion to the enemy of the Lord to blaspheme. He said, because you've done this, you've given the enemy of the Lord reason to blaspheme. Well, this is the same thing that Malachi is saying to the priesthood. Because of your insincere worship, because your willingness to take the blind and the lame sheep and the pain of inappropriate sacrifice, you've given the people reason to not enjoy this. You've given the people reason to blaspheme. And I wonder how many today in ministry uh, for Christ have brought, because of disobedience, have given people reason to blaspheme against God. We will be held accountable for the picture of Christ that we paint in our own lives. And if we go out into the world and we live a life that brings reproach and shame upon the name of Christ, one day we'll stand before God and we'll answer for that. Because there's some people out there, when they see us, that's all they're ever going to see. They're never going to know anything else about us. They're not going to hear our testimonies on Sunday mornings. They're not going to hear our love for God on Sunday night. All they're going to see is the action that we had while we were around them. And when we're living a life that is not according to the word of God and to the will of God, we give the enemy of the Lord reason to blaspheme.